no matter how many times I closed my eyes and I hope and I wish and I prayed this wouldn't have been what happened, it, it didn't change. You know, uh, you ask yourself, how do you go back in time? How do I make this not be my reality? And the truth is, uh, as much as I did the soul searching to find out how and, and wonder and, and you got a question like, is this what your life is destined to be? Is this, you know, what the plan was? Um, it's hard to come to grips with what happened. So instead, I just realized, just reminisce the past. You know, I had 25 years with arms and legs that were great. Um, I've had almost eight now that are incredible. And I've had one real bad day at work. If you're a police officer or currently working in law enforcement and you're considering your career, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Andy Lobram. Welcome to the Blue Light Leavers podcast. So today I've got the absolute honor of interviewing retired United States Army Staff Sergeant Travis Mills of the 82nd Airborne Division. Now on April 10th, 2012, uh, Travis was critically injured on his third tour of duty in Afghanistan by an improvised explosive device while he was out on patrol. Now as a result of that explosion, he lost uh, both arms and both legs. And he is one of only five quadruple amputees from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan to survive his injuries. This is just an incredible interview. He had me laughing out loud throughout. He's just such a great guy. He's now a motivational speaker, actor, author, and he's an advocate for veterans and amputees. He has the Travis Mills Foundation as well, which is a non-profit organization formed to benefit and assist post 9-11 veterans who've been injured in active duty or as a result of their service to uh, to the USA. Just an incredible guy. It was an absolute pleasure to interview. Let's go over to Travis now. Hi, Travis. Thank you so much for agreeing to, uh, to be interviewed on Blue Light Leavers podcast today. Amazing. Absolutely amazing to have you here. So thank you for that. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation and you're a champion. So you keep doing the great work you're doing and I'm just honored to be here. That's very kind of you. Um, Travis, obviously, uh, the guys, particularly over here in the UK, um, aren't going to know too much about you. So it'd be great to know a bit more about your story. Talk us through what's happened to you. Uh, from a small town, uh, you know, athlete in high school and some small college uh, football, um, which is like American football. I know you guys caught something different over there. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I was, I was playing college ball and then the season ended and I realized I don't like college. I like uh, football. And I decided to move back home for my girlfriend because she said she loved me. And then I did. And then I met her boyfriend, Colin. So super, yeah, like, I know, super weird, right? So like I joined the military because of that. And um, because I joined the military, and I stepped on a bomb and lost all four limbs. And it's basically all her fault, you know, when you think about it. But uh, no, I, I joined the military in um, 2006. I went to the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, so you learn how to jump out of airplanes and be a paratrooper. And um, I did two uh, two deployments, and then my third one is the one that got me. So I did a 15-month deployment, came back, got married, um, went again for a year, came back, bought a house, had a baby, and then I went back again, and I got hit on my third deployment in Afghanistan, and I became um, the fourth out of the five of us to be quadruple amputees to survive um, those kind of injuries from war. So you, your first few deployments in Afghanistan, what were you doing? Um, well, the first one I was, uh, like personal security for like a Colonel. So it was like the easiest, most awesome job at 19 years old. So I just lifted a lot of weights. I went on patrols and then I came back and lifted more weights and, uh, we didn't see much action that time. And then that was 15 months long while I was there. My medic was my, one of my close friends and he, um, he went home in 2007 in September to watch his daughter be born. And while he was at home, his little sister, who was 18 and in college, sent me a MySpace friend request because, I mean, 
I was taking these supplements from Germany, wink, wink, and I was getting jacked. And she was like, that dude's cute. And I'm like, what it do? So, you know, we started hanging out online, chatting with messages. And we decided to hang out in person. And she was 18 in college and I was 20 in Afghanistan. And the first time I ever met her, I actually flew back for my 18 days of R&R from Afghanistan. And I, we booked a trip to Cozumel, Mexico. So our first date, we ever met each other. We went to Mexico together for a week. Wow. And then uh, back to Michigan where I'm from. And then back overseas I went and I came back and got married shortly after. So your second deployment? My MOS or my, my job in the military was uh, infantry. So the first time was just kind of, I was pulled because I was uh, a private that was infantry. Nothing special about me. The second one, I was in a, a unit where we actually were on the ground fighting a lot more firefights and threw a couple of grenades, you know, here and there. Um, got some confirmed kills and things like that. Uh, took four showers in one year, not by choice, just kind of where we lived at in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, it was a year long, this one. Um, and, it, you know, it was, it was exciting. It was fun. Um, you forget about the, the bad days and you just always focus on like the fun and the adrenaline rush and the excitement. I mean, there was, Absolutely. we took, we took a compound, uh, took a compound from the Taliban and we used to like roll, you know, 50 gallon, gallon drums of diesel oil and carry stuff all over this walkway. Turns out <laughs> after the erosion and, and the seasons went on, the batteries and these IEDs were, were dead, but there was like IEDs everywhere. I, I used to lay my cot on top of a triple stacked, um, anti-tank mines. <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, <laughs> and it's kind of dumb to talk about now but we we swept everything they were just buried so deep but luckily the batteries were dead so there's no um no electrical charge to set them off but uh yeah yeah i got some videos where i'm like walking up showing people this is ied i just walked over a little bit ago and i didn't realize it was there oh my (laughs) god you kind of it's kind of dumb you come desensitized to a lot of things and you find a way to to cope with what you've seen and what you've done and a lot of military guys and I'd imagine the police force and, and probably firemen and EMTs, mm-hmm. they might have a little bit morbid, uh, more morbid of a sense of humor. But I think it's just a coping mechanism, you know? So the things that you should be freaked out about, you just, you kind of chuckle it off and make it, make a dumb joke. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very similar. <clears throat> yeah. What about, um, what about promotion? So I was a private when I went to basic, um, uh, second class of so PV2, they call it. Uh, my first deployment, I made it up to, specialist senior specialist so e4 i came back got promoted went back overseas and i came back from my second deployment and i got promoted to e6 and i was a staff sergeant um as a jump master so i was i was able to like check people's equipment before they jump out of airplanes and you got to get this whole like three page thing you got to memorize and one of the lines in it was when i say green light go uh, and if you don't jump out of the door if you don't make a proper airborne exit I'll repeat it two more times. And the third time, if I say it and you don't go, I'll unhook you and set you down on the ramp of the plane and, and tell you, don't give you a lawful order, don't touch your equipment. But then I always pause and say, but I promise you, you will go out of this airplane today if you're lining up this line. <laughs> and I had two kids, I had two kids try me out. And I say kids, they're obviously, you know, soldiers, but they were fresh in the army. Mm-hmm. And one kid stood in the door and said, green light, go, green light, go. And I said, not today, buddy. I told you, I picked kid up by the back of his neck, the back of his pants, and I threw him out. <laughs> And uh, another kid did the same thing, another jump, and I kicked him right in the back of his parachute right out of the plane. And I think they landed fine. I have no idea. I didn't pay attention, but I think, you know, you can't let, you know, as I said, I told you you're going. But, um, but no, so I, I eventually I made, like, the highest rank I got was staff sergeant, so E6. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was a weapons squad leader, so I was in charge of the, the big heavy cruiser vest, the weapons, you know, the M240 Bravo teams. Mm-hmm. So I was everybody's best friend in a firefight, <laughs> and uh, or my teams were, I guess. 
And then, um, my had orders take me a different, different base. I had orders taking me to Fort Hood, Texas because the big army said, Hey Travis, you got over two years combat. Like, why don't you just take this one off? Go help stand this brigade up. And I thought that's unfair. My guys are going to Afghanistan. Uh, quite frankly, had a newborn in a house I just bought. Tax-free money's not bad. So I thought, you know, the money's not bad. And my guys deserve it if I go. So I can't leave them because of the brotherhood and the calling. My wife understood that. You know, these guys come over for barbecues. They look up to me. They respect me. I'm their, their boss, but yet like an uncle kind of type person to them, I guess. And I didn't want to leave them hanging. So I decided I was going to deploy for the third time. And I had my sergeant major cancel my orders. And uh, I was able to go for my third trip to Afghanistan. And that was a wild west over there when I was that time, which, you know, in the news, you think every year it gets better. But it's actually the, the worst for firefights I had ever been on. So every day was like a firefight or, you know, some, something was going on and I'm not complaining about it. Like that's, that's the fun stuff. Like that's the stuff like you're like, let's get it. You know, the whole, the adrenaline, you know, rise, rises up in your body, the hair stands up on your neck. And you're like, let's get after it. This is, you know, the most exciting thing ever. But, um, a month and a half in, uh, we got a call from the village elder that I need some help. And we said, yeah, no problem. We went out to the village and we lived outside of kind of, and, I don't know. We swept the ground like we did every day. Um, and it just so happened that there was 13 IEDs in a row that, uh, the minesweeper just didn't pick up, you know, it didn't, it didn't sense any of them. And it wasn't the guy in front of me that had the minesweeper's fault. It just didn't work that day. So I put my backpack on the ground and under my backpack was a bomb. So my bomb or my backpack set the bomb off. It was a 120 pound backpack, set the bomb off and it took my right arm, right leg off, um, automatically. And then I found those pieces. They disintegrated Jeez. and I got thrown on the left side of my face and when I hit the ground, I rolled over my back and I, my left eye started to swell shut and my left leg was snapped to the bone. So if you can imagine your left ankle bone, um, touching your left thigh, it was doing that. Like I was on my back, like a turtle and my right leg's gone, right arm's gone, left leg, you know, dangling, touching my thigh. And then my left arm was blown out at the wrist really bad, but I still use my thumb and index and middle finger and they would open and close and stuff. And I hit the ground and I, and I saw what happened. And my medic, Dan Bateson, runs over and I'm like, don't worry about it. You're not going to save me, right? I've seen guys die for what I thought was a lot less, unfortunately, for them. And I thought, don't waste your time. And in my head, I keep saying the movie Saving Private Ryan. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you guys ever, you, you ever see that yeah, one? Yeah, so many times. Yeah, like my, uh, same here. Same here's one of my favorites. But when the medic gets shot in the stomach and he cries out for his mom, hmm. he's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And then he ultimately dies. I always told myself, no matter what happens, don't be that guy. Like I get when people are afraid, but it's, it was out of my control at that point. And I wasn't having my guys sit there and have their last memories be of me yelling out for my, my mom or my wife or my family and begging not to die. And then I ultimately die. Like, you know, I, I, I've always exuded confidence and was the first in a firefight and last out. And I always said, whatever happens, happens. Not that I threw caution to the wind and I was careless, but at the same time, you, you know, I, you don't show fear and you don't, let that creep into anybody around you. And, um, so I met, I told him to save my guys and don't worry about it. I'd bleed out and it'd be over quick. And he ignored that and worked on my right side. And my platoon sergeant, Sergeant Hambright worked on my left side. And then, you know, within 20 seconds, they had tourniquets really on all four limbs. And then they had to put a sternum IV in me, but as they're working on me and I'm telling myself, don't freak out. I'm just calming myself down. I'm like, you know what I do with myself. So I reached out to my, my microphone I had on my left chest or my right chest. Um, plate carrier area and I reached my left hand up and I called my LT. I said, Hey six, this is four. I need your medics over. I need your medic with mine. So he sent over doc voice and you know, doc voice worked on, um, Brandon and Ryan, two guys that were hit with me and he got them stable. And then he, they, he worked on me and they put a sternum IV in my chest. They gave me a, 
fentanyl pop. And uh, apparently you're supposed to just um, suck the pops or the fentanyl pop. I don't like popsicles or, or not, lollipops. I mean, mm. so I just chewed it up. I was like, that, that don't taste so bad. Give me another one. I'm like, you can have another one. I'm like, well, okay. Like, you chewed that. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm like, I don't like suckers. <laughs> but, uh, within 10 minutes, they got me on a helicopter. And from, from when Alex got there, the other medic doc voice, and they got me on a helicopter and they rushed me into surgery. And I kept trying to sit up and about the third or fourth time, the nurse knocked me over and was like, I don't know how you're still awake, Sergeant Mills, but you need to go to sleep. And then they knocked me out. And when they knocked me out, um, I looked at that nurse. And I was like, my little girl, I'm never going to see her again. Cause my daughter, Chloe was six months old and you know, it just, uh, it was unfortunate, but nine doctors and seven nurses worked on me for 14 hours. You know, two nurses pumped air in and out of my lungs for nine hours to keep me alive. And they worked around the clock to do the best they could to, uh, you know, get me better, make me stable, at least critical was stable. And they did, which you think about it for 14 hours, they worked straight instead of loosening that one tourniquet within three minutes, I die. They go back to whatever they're doing. So, you know, uh, pretty, pretty, you know, phenomenal that they were able to do that. And, and, um, incredible. And I guess I didn't realize this, but Kandahar hospital has a 99%, um, living rate. So if you get there alive, you leave there alive, which is, I mean, that's, right massive massively That's impressive incredible. um and that, this was on april 10th of 2012 my brother-in-law who i'm really great friends with still was in country but not with me so he get he gets told what happened he flies in to see me because i might die and he has to escort my body home because you write you basically write your will before you deploy it's called a blue book in the army and you tell people what you want to be buried with what kind of funeral you want who escorts your body home it's really morbid but you have to do it no matter if you're that 17 year old private you know that got the waiver to come in or some 60 year old sergeant major or general and he came in and they, they uh, transferred us. He came with me again on the 12th of April to Bagram and they took me in for a washout because I still had my left hand and they cut my left hand off the rest of the way. So I was a quadruple amputee on April 12th. And then two days after that, they, uh, they woke me up for the very first time in Germany. And you know, when I woke up, uh, the only person in the room was my brother-in-law and I asked him about my soldiers and he told me, you know, Ryan's here, Brandon's there. And I looked at him and said, am I paralyzed? And he said, no. And I looked at him and I said, Josh, you don't got to lie to me. I can't, I can't put my fingers toes. And um, he told me, you don't have them anymore. And for three hours, I ignored everybody because I got my own questions, right? Am I a bad person? Does God hate me? Uh, what did I do wrong in life to deserve this? How can I be a husband and a father? And the biggest question I had was like, why didn't I just die? Like how, how, how like, you know, how is this going to be better than, than dying and just being done with it all? And, um, you know, I ignored everybody. Like the doctors would ask questions and Josh and the nurses and, and I didn't, I didn't care to talk to any of them. But then finally Josh chimes in and he convinced me I got to call my wife and my parents. So I do. And the conversations were very short. I was like, Hey, what's up? Fine. Love you. Bye. That's all I said to my wife. And then my mom and dad, I talked to them and I, you know, I was embarrassed and I apologized. I thought I really screwed up and told them I was sorry for getting hurt. And I, you know, and then my mom yelled happy birthday through the phone before they hung up. Cause it was my birthday that day. So my 25th birthday is when I woke up for the first time uh, after my explosion. And then th- uh, three days after that, I arrived at Walter Reed. Um, and when I got there, my wife had to sign a waiver to have two inches cut off my right leg. My sutures had split open. <laughs> and they were like, his, you know, his sutures ripped. Mrs. Mills, you're in charge of medical care. You have to cut a, he had to cut his leg two inches higher for him to live, which is a big question to ask a 23-year-old with a six-month-old baby. Like, hey, um, we have to cut two inches off your husband's leg, but you have to approve it. She signed it, and then the next day she came in, and, and we discussed how we're going to go about things. And 
I told her to leave me and she's like, I really want handicap parking. So like, I'm going to stay because I want that front row, you know? So she stayed, which is great. But, uh, but that's, that's like in a nutshell, that's, that's the lead up. And, and that's what happened to me. Now I've done a lot of things since I was in, injured, you know, it's almost been eight years now. Um, uh, I do a lot of, like you said, you know, motivational speaking. I think you mentioned that earlier. I do, um, I, I run a big nonprofit here in the States, um, for combat and service connected injured veterans. I have a PTSD program that we're starting. It's called post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic growth, um, which I'm very excited, uh, excuse me, excited about. And look, I live in a great nation just like you do where I actually own uh, either outright or with a couple partners, I own four businesses and my nonprofit. So, Incredible. you know, life's pretty good. Yeah. That's considering, I, you know, considering I have no arms and legs, I, I think I do all right. Matter of fact, like I, uh, like I apologize for earlier, I'm in my truck right now. Cause I, I can drive, I can drive with my prosthetic feet and I rip around the roads and you know, I do all that stuff, but I'm sure you have, you have more questions that you don't want me just to like say, Hey, I got I blown up and I woke up and now I, like, <laughs> hey, I, got, I got blown up and then, and then like, I'm all better, you know? Hey, yay for me. So it's all good. You, go, <laughs> you go ahead. We talk about your road to recovery a little bit. Obviously I've seen some footage and um, it'd be really interesting just to go through your road to recovery because you know, we're talking now eight years later. Um, yeah there's a hell of a journey to go through. So that transition, obviously from, from being that phenomenal athlete that you were, um, you know, to, to obviously, I remember you saying on in one of your podcasts, you know, you sort of went from, were you six, how tall were you? Six, two, six, six three, six, three yeah. to three foot something you say. And then, and that, yeah. you know, just getting that around your head and, and just, you know, coming to terms with that. So that, that road to recovery and actually learning to, to use your prosthetic limbs and everything else again. And, and uh, you've done extraordinary work. But can you just take us through a little bit around that journey for us? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because one day I was six foot three, like 250 pounds, and then I was cut off at the knees. It was crazy. So I was three foot six, and now I'm 32 with two feet in the grave. Um, it's sad, but true. Did you get that? Yeah, okay. And then, you know, because I, I fell apart at 25, you know what I'm saying? Like my whole... <laughs> But, uh, but no, I, you know, it, it was, it was pretty hard there for a while. And then you get to learn stuff about yourself that you never knew. Like it's the most embarrassing thing to talk about, but for five weeks, I didn't have a hand. So to dress myself, to feed myself, it wasn't myself anymore. Somebody dressed me, somebody fed me, somebody helped me go to the bathroom. And it was, that was probably like the worst part of it. You know, not, I, I mean, getting injured was awful. Finding out I have no arms and legs, terrible. Having to have the doctor or the nurses and everybody help you use the bathroom, right? Have your wife there to cope with you while they're, you know, it's just never again, never again. I have three arms um, that are like the mechanical or the electrical ones. And I got so many other ones too, because I'm like, no one's ever going to help me with that stuff ever again. I'm stubborn. But I went from, you know, that, like I said, uh, six foot three, I went down to um, 140 pounds, also 110 pounds in that seven days. And you know, you come to the the conclusion of like, you're not a bad person. Eventually you get to that. This, you know, you didn't deserve this, but it happens bad, you know, bad things happen to good people or whatever. And then no matter how many times I closed my eyes and I hope and I wish, and I prayed this wouldn't have been what happened. It, it didn't change. You know, you ask yourself, how do you go back in time? How do I make this not be my reality? And the truth is, uh, as much as I did the soul searching to find out how and, and wonder, and, and you got a question like, is this what your life is destined to be? Is this you know, what the plan was, um, it's hard to come to grips with what happened. So instead I just realized just reminisce the past. You know, I had 25 years with arms and legs that were great. Um, I've had almost eight now that are incredible and I've had one real bad day at work. Mm -hmm. And then, 
you know, case of the old Mondays, they say, but, but also, um, I realized into my recovery and I say, I learned it in the two weeks, you know, when I, but really the two weeks was about the, you know, let's just understand we're not going back in time. Let's just reminisce and let's keep pushing forward. But it took me a little while longer to realize, you know what, you can't always control your situation, but you can always control your attitude. And I live by that because I wake up every day with my arms and legs not being, you know, on my body. My prosthetics are, aren't on. So I jump from my bed to my wheelchair, throw my arm on off the charger, and I go about my day. But, you know, it took five weeks to have a hand and be able to feed myself and get and dress myself. It took just shy of two months to walk again on short legs. And, you know, it took 19 months to recover at Walter Reed. I, th- I think I was done in 13 months and then, you know, government and paperwork. But, um took 19 months, you know, to be there to retire out. And then I can remember getting out of the hospital and, uh, I'm not sure if you felt the same way when you got out of law enforcement. And I know you said, were you, you said you and your wife were both military or your wife was? Uh, my wife was ex-military and, and law enforcement. And uh, yeah. I, I was police. I did 30 years in the police. So. Right. And, and, and I appreciate that. And your community, it thanks you for you know providing that service. But, and, and maybe you felt this way when you got done it for 30 years. I, I went to my in-laws house in Dallas, Texas, and I went and sat down on the edge of the bed and they had a picture up of me. The last picture ever taken of me with arms and legs. I had my uniform on, my eight, my um, my M4, a baseball cap. It's pretty pretty well-known circulated picture. It was taken the, right the day before because I had a kid that bought a hat for me in high school. I was his model, role model because I played football. And I had it overseas with me, so I put the hat on and took a picture for him because he's a senior playing you know, playing football at that time. And uh, I remember I broke down the bed. I was like, who am I now? I'm not Staff Sergeant Travis Mills anymore. I'm not the military guy. I'm not, you know, I had to refine my identity and I, and I stole, you know, slowly, but surely, you know, started talking, um, to groups. Um, I started working out again. You know, I, I was, I'm heavy now. Like, trust me, I eat way too many cheesesteaks. Like that's, that's my downfall and cheesecake. I mean, I got a weakness for it. Like, you know, when they're like, Hey, you need to lose weight. Don't eat that. And you're like, I almost died once. Shut your mouth. This is, this is my America and damn it. I feel free. But, but, uh, <laughs> I just started a new diet plan today. Not diet, just being healthier. But you know, I'm not going to weeds that story. Mm-hmm. But uh, I started working out and and um, had to kind of rediscover who I am and and what what mark can I still make on society? How can I still give back and serve? What can I do to make people's lives better? And we found that answer. Um, not only do I speak at conferences and and I own like I own a marina and a lodge with a buddy of mine, and I just bought a new building. I'm going to put a pub in and a whiskey and gin distillery and stuff. But but really. Um, my foundation, I bring up people that have been through situations like mine and eight families per week. And I show them how to do things adaptively. Hey, look, you can still kayak. You can still go on this ropes course. You can still go tubing. You can still do archery. You can still play golf. And my biggest basis of it, it's around the family. So it's not the service member that comes by themselves. Um, unless there's, you know, single or whatever. We also have the spouse, the children, and we let them know, never live life on the sidelines. Always, you know, do what you can to push forward. Don't, you know, ever not be active with society, like always be active in society and your family. And my motto was never give up, never quit. And, um, I made that up when I was doing sit-ups. One of the first times I ever got to work out and I have a documentary out. It's called Travis, a soldier story and whatnot. But if you check it out, I'm in there and I'm like a a skeleton rail, right? Looked like a real crackhead to be honest with you. And the nurse or not nurse, sorry. The occupational therapist was like, do you want to, do you want to quit? I'm gonna take a break. And I'm like, I'm never going to quit. I just kept ripping out sit-ups. And it just kind of stuck. So I use never, never give up, never quit. And I tell you, my, my kids, <laughs> I think that my daughter gets a little bit annoyed because she'll say she can't do something. I'm like, oh, really? Remember this time? 
I lost my arms and legs, but you know, in, in truth, I don't think I'd be the same person without my, my daughter and my wife by my side. Um, through this whole process, my daughter says she taught me how to, how to walk, which is neat. Cause we did learn how to walk about the same time together. Amazing. And, um, and we're like, we're best friends now. Um, I know a lot of people wonder if I still got my penis or not, but I do. I was, going to ask you, I was going to ask you what the most common question is that you, you've beaten me to it. I reckon that was going to be it. So you beat me to it. You know, it's, it's not. People <laughs> shy away from it. But every time I speak, uh, and I, I do quite a bit of it, that's the last thing I end with. Still got it. Still works. <laughs> and I show a picture of my son, who's two and a half years old now. And uh, oh, I get a pretty good standing ovation. But um, no, that, that's one of the questions people wonder. You know, and, and the thing is, I, I can't say that if I'm talking to like a group of guys like me. I can't say that because not everybody has the same of course. outcome. And the truth is like, it, it is all mindset, you know, for, for me and for a lot of things, um, it's about resiliency, but it's also, you know, coming to terms with what happened. I had one guy at the hospital, lost both legs. Great guy. Um, uh, he meant well, but he was very, very unhappy. And I, I said something in to, to a group of people and he said something back. He's like, Oh yeah, you're part of everything's great club. And I'm like, what's that supposed to mean? He said, well, you lost your arms and legs, but you act like everything's great. And I, we had a, I had a group of friends at Walter Reed that were all like the same mindset. Like, Hey, look, it happened. Let's push forward. We have families and we all hung out together and it, it wasn't like a click or like a, like a group, you know, we weren't like the, okay. Like I, maybe I might've been more popular at Walter Reed and everybody knew me, but it's because my attitude, not because of my injury. And I looked at him and said, you know what? I hope, I hope you can come to terms with what happened because you got at least 50 years left and to, to be as miserable as you are for 50 years would be pretty awful. And I think that resonated with him. He's like, well, I said, Look, man, you ain't gonna change it. Might as well just push forward, and let's let's just keep keep doing what we gotta do to you know to keep pushing pushing forward, keep keeping the fight. So the the biggest lessons then, Travis, from what you've been through, what do you reckon are the two biggest things that you've picked up as a result of what you've been through? Well, I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's the life lessons that I that I talked about. You know, the resiliency side of it is, um, you know, just it, you got It's kind of like accept and move on. So it's like you know, reminisce the past, right? What you had. And then, you know, just, just don't dwell on it. So I reminisce, I don't dwell. I don't dwell on the fact that I have arms and legs. So I'm just like, hey, it is what it is. Um, and then also attitude's everything. So, you know, it's up to me. No matter what the situation is, you might as well have a, you know, have the best attitude. Because if you have a bad attitude, like that, you, that's going to be miserable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not saying like get in a car accident and smile at the person you just hit. Like, <laughs> it's, hey man, I'm sorry. I just, I just railed your car, man. <laughs> like that's not going to work for you probably. But, you know, like for me, like my kids look up to me. I have the community around me look up to me. And, and I, I'm fortunate because I've realized that no matter what I do, I'm not going to change what happens. So I might as well just change my future, make sure it's the best it can be. Amazing. What have you got coming up? The first 90 days of this year, I've been speaking on the road for 60 of them. My wife, my wife's funny because it's a double-edged sword, right? She'll uh, make my schedule. She'll do the emails you know, for the flights and she'll get the flights and I'll be gone. And she's like, why are you always gone? You're not home with the kids. I'm like, you, you set the schedule. Like, what? that's not fair. <laughs> but, but no, it's, you know, um, the foundation's growing and expanding, which is going well. We have two more programs we're introducing. We have a $4.3 million build coming up. And, um, the greatest thing is, uh, we're very successful with, with, um, I wouldn't say skeleton crew, but dedicated people that understand we have to run a light crew. Cause it's not about making the people that work there or the board of directors rich is about making sure that the families get served and all my board members don't get paid. Like nobody on the board gets paid. And, and I'm very proud of that. Like being the president of a multi-million dollar foundation, not one dime comes to me and I don't want it to, 
you know, mm-hmm. I've made that very clear. It's about giving back and doing the right thing because it is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That's fantastic. Travis, thank you so much. I, um, I've got to say when I, when you agreed to be uh, interviewed on the podcast, I actually went through to Claire and, and the kids, my wife and kids and sort of did like a bit of a dad dance. It was just like, I mean, obviously I do that for all of my guests, but uh, I was so excited about the fact I was going to get to interview. So that it, it just been amazing. Thank you so much. It's uh, incredible. If Are you kidding me? Connect- I was the one excited. I was one like, oh my gosh, she's going to let me be on a show. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I tried to Are dance, but I'm all, hip, I'm all hips and shoulders. You know, my hands. Yeah. Incredible. Um, if people want to reach out to you, obviously you've got your website. Yep. TravisMills.org. Absolutely. And obviously, um, donations and such like, I know you've got a store as well. And, um, so tell yeah. us a little bit about how people can connect with you. Yeah. So TravisMills.org is my website, but then there's a foundation link or you can just go right to TravisMillsFoundation.org. Um, they kind of coexist together and, um, Facebook, it, all my handles are at SSG Travis Mills. And if you guys are fans of like chubby shorts, which is like short shorts for men, I'm kind of a model. No big deal. Whatever. They just posted a picture today of me and my son um, with pink um, swimsuits on with, with green alligators. You got to check it out. I mean, it's going to be old when you guys hear this, but just so, so you know, that's all me, baby. That's all Philly cheesesteaks, cheesecake, and delightfulness of happy joy from the food I eat. So don't judge my shit. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and then um, you'll find in the website, TravisMills.org, that I have uh, I have a book out. And I'll be honest with you, the most important part of that book to me is the author's note. The first thing I'll tell you is, you know what? I don't think my problems outweigh anybody else's. I don't think I should be put on a pedestal. I don't think I'm any more special. Um, I think collectively, if we all think about our lives, we know somebody that's went through something traumatic or going through something traumatic, whether it be cancer, car accident, you know, something like that. And, you know, a sudden death in the family or whatever. And I think it's important that people realize that I'm just here to make people feel good and understand that, hey, things happen. Let's just keep pushing forward. And the next thing it tells people is I didn't serve anymore anybody else, right? I didn't fight any harder. I was no more heroic or brave. I did nothing to deserve any more credit. So if you did serve, whether you're in, you know, the military in the States or military in the UK um, or the police departments or fire departments or EMT or, you know, nurses in school, anybody, like I didn't do anything special, right? I went overseas. I volunteered. I got hit. It is what it is. So if you did serve, thank you for your service um, from me to you. Thank you, Travis. Incredible talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks for your time, you champion. I appreciate it. You have a super duper dandy kind of day. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Never give up, never quit. What an incredible message from Travis. I hope you enjoyed that uh, as much as I did. Uh, Just such a great guy. Got on so well with him and uh, a a brilliant interview. Uh, A couple of takeaways for me were um, the fact that you can't always control the situation, but you can control your attitude. And it was really interesting to note that like us, with change, he felt that he'd lost his identity. But what an incredible attitude where what he wants to do is make his mark on society and what could he do to make people's lives better. An incredible guy, great interview. Uh, don't forget, you can also join the Blue Light Levers Facebook group, which is www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Blue Light Levers. And we'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Bye for now.